Welcome to Life Point today. My name is Donnie Williams. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're here for the first time, I want to say welcome. Thanks for coming, checking out our church. I'd love to meet you after the service. Please come down front before you leave today and introduce yourself. Well, you just heard a story recited from the stage that this entire series that we're in called Finding Your Way Back to God is all about. It's all wrapped around this story that Jesus told about a young man who left home made mistakes, found himself alone, penniless, hungry, and full of regret. Now, I really think today, I was praying before I came out here to speak, I really think there's, there's people here today that today's going to speak to you, because I know what's going to happen for the rest of this service. But, but maybe you've been thinking, God, I need something. I think today might be your day. I think today might be the day you make that decision and you take that step. About 10 million people this past year were victims of identity theft. 10 million. About 1 billion personal records were stolen. Probably if I said, raise your hand, if you have had your identity stolen or you know someone, everybody probably would raise their hand. I know a couple of people. They're trying, one of them was trying to buy a house, and he found out he owned another house. And he had, a, he had a bunch of credit cards that had never had a payment made on them. And it took him months and months and months to get his name cleared. Well, today I'm going to talk about a different kind of identity crisis. It's when we place our identity in the wrong things. And as we're to the part of this story that Jesus told in the New Testament book of Luke about the young man who ran away, messed up his life, and then came home, we're to the part where he's come to realization of his mistakes. He knows what he's done is wrong, and he's hoping that his father takes him back, and he has identified himself as a failure, as a loser, as somebody that's unworthy of anything his father would give him. So he's thinking in his mind, if I could just be a servant, if I could just sit out back, if I could just live in the barn, and those are the ideas that he's walking back to his father with. And as we'll see as we go through this story, his identity was firmly in the wrong place. And maybe yours is today. Maybe your identity's wrapped up in what you do. Maybe it's wrapped up in a relationship. Maybe it's wrapped up in a career or school or something else. And it's let you down over and over and over again. Well, I hope today gives you some encouragement that you can transfer your identity from wherever it is to God's unconditional love for you. It's impossible for us to have our identity in the wrong place and our life go in the right direction. And so many people still, day after day, live with their identity in the wrong place. We're going to look at the last few sentences, last few paragraphs of this story of the lost son. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one of those. You can keep it. You can borrow it. And you can also follow along on the screen. And as we've talked about this journey back towards God, hopefully your, your thoughts have not been, well, I'm already back to God. I don't, I don't need this. I guarantee there's an area of your life you've yet to turn over to God. I, I find it all the time. All the time I realize here's part of my life that I've not completely, totally turned over to God and allowed him to have complete authority over. And so I start my journey back 
one more time. Maybe that's you. Some of you are making your initial journey to God to find out what Jesus means, and, and, and maybe you're, you're not sure still. As we've gone through this story and gone through this journey together over the past three weeks, this is week number four of five, we discovered that the young man went through some awakenings, and we can also experience those same awakenings in our journey back towards God. The first week we talked about this awakening uh, to longing, that we long for love and to be loved, and we long for purpose, and we long for meaning. And just to start to realize, I have this longing inside of me, and the reason I have it is because God himself put it there. So it would turn me back towards him. But what happens is we try to fill up that longing with something else, and it leads us to this cycle of regret, where we called it the sorry cycle, where we we do things we shouldn't do, gets us far from God, then we come back around, I'm sorry, God, thanks for taking me back. Then we go there again, then we come back, and it's just this cycle that we live in. So we said, let's awaken ourselves to the idea, to the fact that we don't have to live with regret. We don't have to walk day after day in regret. And then last week, we talked about this awakening to the fact that we can't do it all on our own. And that might be big news for some of you, that you can't do it on your own. You need God's help. And God says, I am here to help when you come out and reach out and receive the help I'm offering you. And so last week, if you missed last week, we had one of the authors of the book, Dave Ferguson, was here to share part three. If you missed that, please go online and watch the video. Because over 400 people, and you, many of them are in this room today, wrote on a card, I need help with. And as our staff, some of us got together and we looked through those and we prayed over those, you were prayed for. Those of you that said, I need help with my marriage, you were prayed for. Those of you that said, I need help knowing how to live out my faith in the world, you were prayed for. I need help on my journey back to God. I'm not sure if I believe yet, you were prayed for. Those of you who said, I'm a follower of Christ, but I'm not a very good one, you were prayed for. Those of you that said, I need help, I can't overcome this addiction alone, you were prayed for. And over 400 people said, I need help. And wouldn't it be great if you could just end the journey with saying, I need help. And then everybody lives happily ever after. Doesn't work that way. That's the first step. And so this next awakening that we all need to experience in our journeys back towards God is uh, awakening to the fact that God loves us unconditionally. Our tendency is, to not receive things unconditionally. We want to say, oh, you didn't have to do that. Or let me work and earn this. Let Let me fix this. But God says, no, I love you completely and unconditionally because you are my child. Our ability to awaken to God's love in our life is directly tied to where we place our identity. And it's a big mistake when we put our identity in things that were never designed to occupy that space in our life. Here's what what happens when we try to put our identity in something else, we get let down. What I do, week in and week out, leading this church, leading in the church planting movement, trying to help more churches be planted, it is so easy for me to find my identity in that. 
God has granted us some level of success. And I got to be honest, when you pat me on the back, I love it. I do. When you send me an email and tell me how you were touched by something, I love it. When I see numbers going up and more locations getting started and more people following Christ in baptism and I walk past the kids area, I'm almost patting myself on the back. It feels good. But if I'm not careful, then my identity will get wrapped up in you. And you're great people. You're encouraging people. And it's very seldom that it, that it comes to me as a criticism, as a personal criticism. But when it does, if my identity's in the wrong place, those criticisms will level me. I won't be able to take another step. And when you place your identity in some place other than God, when criticism comes or when failure comes or when things aren't performing to the level that you hope, you're going to be leveled. You're not going to know what to do. You're going to feel like life is over. See, this young man had his identity in the wrong place. And so he's walking towards his dad and he says these words in Luke chapter 15. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now this is after the dad runs down the driveway. After the dad beats everybody to the young man, because what would have happened, people were waiting to say, you've messed up, you've made a mistake. Just turn around and walk the other direction, buddy. You denied your parents. You, you squandered all the money your dad gave you. You betrayed him, so turn around and keep walking. His dad ran past all those people. And he embraced his son, and he told him how much he loved him. And he, he said, my son is back. And in spite of all that, the son's reality was still in the past. I'm not worthy. I'm just not worthy of this. I'm no longer worthy to even be called your son. And reality, in his mind, hadn't caught up with this new identity that he had just received from his dad. This identity that he's loved and forgiven, restored, and accepted. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're letting your past define you. Mistakes that you've made, things you've done, things have been done to you, and you're allowing that to define you today. In spite of God offering forgiveness, offering unconditional love, offering complete and total restoration, you still allow your identity to be defined by the past, and God says to us what the Father said to the Son, that will not define you. What you've done back there might have been bad, might have been horrible, might, might be horrible consequences in your life, but it does not have to define steps forward. And many people live through life not letting the reality that they're loved by God catch up with where they place their identity. They look in the past. They just keep staring in the past, regretting, thinking, oh, why did I do that? Oh, look what a mess I've made. And God says, that might be true, but that doesn't have to define you. In fact, I want to take your life and completely change it. Here's what the father did for the son. Luke 15, verse 22, he says, Quick, bring the best robe and put on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Now, here's what he meant by that. Now, the kid would have been maybe no shirt, just barely, you know, like ripped up pants, no shoes for sure, probably really dirty, overgrown hair, not well-groomed. 
And he runs out and he says, I need you to go get these three things. And all those people that were standing there wanting to tell the son to leave and not come back, hear the father say, go get the best robe. Get the best one. You know what that robe would have meant in that culture? The best robe belonged to the man of the house. And it was worn with authority. And he was saying, go get the best robe. Go get my robe. And I want you to put it on this dirty boy. To that young man, that would have said, I can rest. My dad's robe. He's given me my robe to put it around and just cover me with his love. And that's what God wants to do for each of us. For us just to understand we can be covered completely by his love. So he puts the robe on him, saying, you're okay. I'm transferring my authority. I'm transferring what I have to you. And he puts the robe on him. And he covers up his dirtiness and nakedness. And then he says, go get a ring. I want to put a ring on my boy's finger. Well, that meant authority. That meant significance. Because families would have had rings. And when people would see you and you had your family ring with your insignia on it or something, they would understand that kid is part of that family. It would almost have been like giving your kid a credit card. Don't recommend that, but it would have almost been like that. Because that ring would have meant he was part of that family. Whatever their name was, that ring would have said, this boy is part of that family. He won't go hungry. He won't go without a place to stay. He won't be left out in the cold. He's got my ring on. That's what the father wanted the son to understand, and that's what God wants us to understand. He wants us to know we're protected. He wants us to know we're provided for. And in a spiritual way, he says, here's my ring. You now wear my name. You're a follower of my son, and nobody can put you down. Nobody can put you out. Nobody can cause your identity to be anywhere else because wear my ring. Show the world what I've done for you. And then he says, get some sandals, put them on his feet. He definitely would have been barefoot. So he's saying, go get the sandals. And the significance of just saying that in their culture would have brought this symbol of acceptance, total and complete acceptance. Because in an ancient Jewish home, only the homeowners would have worn sandals inside the house. The servants, the slaves, they all went barefoot inside the house. And so this boy shows up barefoot saying, just make me a slave. And his dad says, I will have no part of my son being a slave. Put those sandals on his feet so he can know this is his home too. And he's not a slave. He's not a second class citizen. And what he said by these three gifts was, boy, don't you doubt your value. You've messed up, but don't you let that define you. And that's the same thing God's love says to us. You've messed up. You keep making mistakes, but don't you let that define you. Don't get your identity stuck there. Let it be in the fact that I love you completely and unconditionally. That's what God says to us. And just like for the young man, I'm sure for him there was this shift that occurred when his reality caught up with his father's reality. And for all of us who are followers of Christ, there was a point when the reality of God pursuing us with his grace caught up with us. And our lives were never the same. When you realize that God loves you unconditionally, your life will never be the same. I remember 
the first time I looked at my then girlfriend's face and realized she loves me. And it wasn't like a, yeah, she loves me. (laughs) It wasn't that kind of a she loves me. I remember walking by the Ohio River and I remember looking into her eyes and in my heart, I was like, this girl loves me. (laughs) And my life was never the same. The same thing will happen when you realize that God loves you unconditionally. Look at these words on the screen from author Brendan Manning in the book Abba's Child. He says, define yourself radically as one loved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. God's love for you and his choice of you constitute your worth. Accept that. Let it become the most important thing in your life. And so what we're doing is trying to see ourselves as God's children and allowing that to define us, not our past, not our present, but allowing the fact that God loves us unconditionally. So week one, we said, pray a prayer with us. And the prayer was, we called it the 30-day wager. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And then every week, we've added a sentence. And I know for some of you, you're like, God's already real to me. Well, leave that part out. Just say, God, make yourself even more real to me. But that's not the case for everybody. Some people are still They're still in the part where I'm not sure if God's real. So we're asking everybody to pray this. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the awareness that I am your unconditionally loved child. If you can awaken to that today, your life will be forever changed. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what anybody's done to you, your life will change. A while back, a young single mother came to our church, and her life changed. Her name's Emily, and I want you to see her story. Have a look. My name's Emily. I'm 32 years old. I'm a single mother, but I am engaged now, so I will not be single mother anymore. I grew up. Catholic, baptized Catholic, went to went to Catholic church until I was about 10, and then um, I moved away and I kind of steered away from church and started um, hanging out with some people that maybe I shouldn't have hang out with and ended up getting in a horrific car accident. My best friend got thrown from it um, and she died instantly. And shortly after that, my boyfriend killed himself, and um, I just couldn't function anymore after that. And um, I chose drugs and alcohol to get through life. So I ended up in rehab a few times, and I didn't care. I didn't want to get better. I just wanted to die, honestly. I don't want to feel anything anymore. So I think that's why I did drugs and alcohol so much, is so I didn't have to feel anything, and maybe that eventually I would die. I was so stoned my high school senior year, I didn't, I didn't even bother to apply for college. I mean, by the time I like, realized that that was what I should be doing, I, I didn't, it was too late. I didn't care. So I just drank and partied, and that's what we did. So I graduated high school, and I just worked, and I drank, and we partied, and got in trouble. Um, then I met a guy who was older than me. He was a good guy, 
He was educated, he had a good job, he loved me, and so I just went with it. And we ended up getting married and got pregnant right away. Our relationship was based on drinking, so as soon as I stopped drinking, everything just stopped. And I was like 23 years old, and I was like, what have I done? And now I'm married, and now I'm pregnant. But I wasn't drinking, because I was pregnant, so that was good. Um, and, and this is when I call, if I ever write a book, it'll be when the fog lifted, because I was sober for the first time, continuously, not just for a day, you know, for months. And I didn't want to be married to him. I didn't want, I wanted to have the baby, but I didn't want to be married to him. I was ready to get divorced, be a single mother. I was trying to figure out how to go to school. And I had a last hurrah with my ex-husband. Um, I hadn't drank in a few months and we were like writing papers and divvying up money and schedules and stuff like that. And I jokingly told him um, that, you know, maybe if I start drinking again, that maybe we could, you know, maybe I'd like you again. It sounds so terrible, but so he goes out and buys a bottle, we get drunk. And um, that was the last night I drank. I got pregnant with my second son. And I think God did that on purpose to just keep me sober for another chunk of time where I could figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Because I could stay sober for being pregnant, no problem. Um, but that was for someone else. It wasn't for me. So I took that time being pregnant for the second time to really figure out who I was without alcohol. And I just tried different churches. I went to my friend's church. I started going to her women's, women's Bible book group thing on Wednesday mornings. And I did that for about a year, and that was awesome. I kind of felt like maybe baptism would be a good thing. I still felt like I was missing something. Like maybe I hadn't fully accepted him yet. I thought I had, but I don't know. And so I just kept trying and, and I really, I, I don't know, one day I was just like, I, I, I really want to get baptized, but I was scared. I didn't do it for a while. I didn't do it for months, even though I wanted to. And it would always come up and then I, I nope, I didn't do it. And one time, whoever it was up on stage said, you know, if anyone's compelled to do it, you know, you're more than welcome to just get up and let's do it. And I almost got up one time, but I didn't. And then this last time, my fiance, who was nearly, newly a believer, decided that he wanted to get baptized and early on he never thought he'd do it. And when he told me he wanted to get baptized, I'm like, okay, perfect, let's do this together. And that was really special. And I feel a big weight lifted. After that was like, I could not, that was like a very emotional day for me. I could not believe because it was all these bad things and all these negative feelings for my whole life. And, and I was okay. And I just gave everything to him.
Thank you, Emily, for being brave and sharing your story with us. So she had a choice. Be defined by her past or take on the identity that Christ offers each of us. The son that day had a choice. He could have kept his head down and just said, oh, I'm not worthy. And the dad did everything he could to say, listen to me, boy, you are worthy. You are in this family. And if you walked in here today feeling like you're not worthy, God says the same thing to you. Listen to me. I want to make you new. I want to give you a new identity. And what the father did that day, he said, look, here's what we're going to do. My son, who was gone, we're going to have a party. He said it like this. Bring the fattened calf and let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's what we're getting ready to do. Maybe for you. We're going to celebrate people who are taking that step and, and following Christ in baptism. What baptism says is, I surrender. I want to transfer the identity that I've had in other things, and I want to put it fully in Christ. That's a picture of what baptism is. It's for people that, who have believed in Jesus and trusted in him to forgive their sins and then just waving the flag of surrender, saying, I, I can't 